Next week is our birthday party. Uh, we were reflecting this morning before we before we got here um, on what things looked like a year ago. A year ago, we were putting window units into the front of the building with the hopes of staying cool. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. Uh, we were putting up temporary walls every Sunday to block off rooms from other rooms. Uh, it was a pretty creative season for us. Um, and we were also talking about the Sundays where the worship team would practice and my family would be there. And then we'd turn around and have worship with the worship team and my family. Uh, so it's funny to think about... Uh, you know, we're not where we're going to be, but we're not where we were. And sometimes when you get a year down the road, you can look back and say, wow, we actually have come from there to get to here. Um, but in those early days, you don't have anywhere to look back on. And you're like, well, what is this it? Is this it? Is this where we're at? Um, but now we're far enough down the road. We can celebrate a year down the road where God's brought us from, what he's done over the last year. Um, and we know that it is summertime. This is like the official kickoff of summer, so we know we're missing a lot of folks this morning due to that. Um, but hopefully for one week in the summer, if you're, I know branches are on vacation next week and things like that, uh, but if we could just really push and make it a point to celebrate this birthday together next week, uh, that would be fantastic. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 this morning, Ephesians 5.21. What did we start a conversation on last week? Anybody remember? Hmm? Do what? Forgiveness. That was part one of a greater conversation. We're talking about relationships primarily. Uh, that's how the conversation started. Relationships. How to walk in God's instruction, in God's presence, in the in relationships, because a lot of times we just go with the flow, how it feels, whatever comes to mind, we just do what we want sometimes, and we assume that God's going to go with us and He's going to be for us, but in fact, He actually gave us clear instructions about how to walk in these things with His presence, and sometimes we self-destruct and we wonder why, it's because we just did what we wanted and assumed that God was going to support it, and that's a really bad assumption. You know what happens when you assume, right? Still true here. Still true. If you don't know, then ask me when we turn the podcast off and I'll tell you. Right? We have sensitive ears that may tune in to us. So, um, so we don't want to make any assumptions. We want to say in the concept of relationships, how do we walk in God's presence in His instruction so that we don't self-destruct our relationships. And last week we talked about what Sean said. In relationships, there's, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has two just monumental one another statements. And the first one was, forgive one another. And we talked about that last week. We talked about what it looks like to forgive one another and why that's so difficult and why it's so valuable. But the second one that we're going to talk about this morning comes in Ephesians 5.1. It's the other just powerful one another statement that Paul drops in Ephesians. And it says, Ephesians 
says, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Let me read to you out of Ephesians 5.1 what Paul says. Um, well, let's just back up. Uh, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay? That's what Paul has to say here concerning our one another's, our connections, our relationships with each other and others. Submitting to one another, let me, in the fear of Christ. Okay? So let me write this word right here. Submit. Submit. Very few of you see this board on the word on see this word on the board and think happy, positive, joyful thoughts. So let me ask you the negative side of this. What negative thoughts or feelings or fears come to mind when I say submit? What negative thoughts, feelings, fears rise up when you read that word and you think about yourself? Losing? Okay. So are you thinking about competitions or are you thinking about... Do you, do you feel the same way if you're submitting in a relationship? You feel like you lost in the same way that if you submit in a wrestling match? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Feels the same whether you're wrestling or relating, right? It's like a white flag. What other negative thoughts, fears, emotions come to mind? Okay. Yeah. So not only are you losing control, but now, well, we'll also call that giving up power and giving that power to something or someone else. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. If I some oops unmet needs like if we submit then I'm going to have to do without because I'm subject to whatever they give they provide and what if I don't get fulfilled in my needs or desires it's a scary place what else comes to mind Hopefully by the time we leave today, we see the positive spin on it that God intends 
But in our culture, in our place, in our context, where we live and how we live, you're right. We see it as a negative thing, and that's our knee-jerk reaction. That's our knee-jerk reaction. We, a couple of things that I thought of, when we think about submit, we think about abusive leaders. If I submit, then are they going to abuse the power that they have over me? Is it going to be uh, abusive? We think about vulnerable. Vulner- we become vulnerable. Do I? I don't even know how to spell that, so let's just say emasculating together. That way I don't have to attempt to spell it to my own embarrassment. Right? But yeah, it is. It's like, especially as a man, as a male... Yeah, uh, becomes emasculating, loss of control. Last one I had was loss of identity. Potential that I lose who I am if I submit to somebody or something else, uh, and then I just I, I lose that sense of identity. Therefore, submitting becomes a scary thing. Uh, there, uh, we live in a climate. A culture that hates and distrusts all authority. Right? I mean, there is a complete distrust for any type of authority. And in our time and place in which we live, there is little to zero desire to submit to any authority or anything. Right? There's just, when I say submit to authority, you immediately rise up and you say, who, why? And you begin to ask questions as if it's a fearful thing. All of these things come to mind. Nobody wants to submit. Nobody likes authority. It's all a negative thing in our culture. Um, we question everything and we trust no one. Right? Especially in social media. Like, it's like that just flares distrust. Just flares distrust. And every... <laughs> Fake news becomes real news, and you don't know the difference between the two, so you trust no one, and you submit to no one. Um, I I read a book a while back called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. It was written by uh, a guy that was born and raised in a very devout Muslim home, uh, and he was born in the east, and his family moved over here to the west. He said this about authority and submission. He said, people from Eastern Islamic cultures generally assess truth through lines of authority, not individual reasoning. So he says this, if you come from the East, truth comes through authority, not reasoning. Okay? In our concept and where we live, we say, I as an individual will reason out, will think out, will study out, I'll ask who, what, where, when, and why, especially why. And in my own individual reasoning, I will come to sometimes my own individual truth. That's why our culture has a very difficult time accepting that there is an absolute truth that is true no matter who, what, where. Right, But it's all individual reasoning to your individual truth. But in the Eastern culture, Islamic culture, where he came from, he said, truth came through authority. It was your dad. 
It was the one who was over you. You submitted to them and what they passed down to you was true and there was no room for individual reasoning. Right? And, and, and in our concept where we dislike and distrust any sort of authority, that seems like a living hell to us not to be able to go and have our individual reason. Well, that is my freedom. My, you know, what if I believe something that's untrue? What if it's abusive in the, what they pass down to me? And we just all these things come to our mind because we've never operated under authority. We've always operated under individual reasoning. And, and this... Eastern culture. He says, of course, individuals do engage in critical reasoning in the East, but on average, it is relatively less valued and less prevalent than it is in the West where we live. Leaders have done the critical reasoning and leaders know the best. Receiving input from multiple sources and then critically examining the data to distill a truth is an exercise for specialists, not for the everyday guy. In the East, he um, said, "Muslim immigrants from the East are starkly different from the Muslim children born in the West. The phenomenon creates a stark dichotomy in the minds of Muslims raised in these cultures. An entity is either a source of authority or it is not. It is either trustworthy or suspect. It is either good or it is bad. Shades of gray are far less common." among authority-based cultures. Shades of gray are far less common among authority. What that means is we have absolute truth. In America, there is no absolute. Because everybody's left to their own individual reasoning. There is no authority. Distrust, dislike, all authority figures... And that leads us to a point that how can anybody know? How can anybody know? It's an interesting reality when I read that about where this man came from. Our cultural context makes it difficult to read Paul's statements. Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Because of where we live and when we live, reading that is difficult to swallow and apply. So like Mark said, we've got to read it in the biblical context and come to an understanding of what God wants us to know and do in that and get past our Western mentality that we've been born and raised to distrust and dislike all authority, therefore submit to no one. Right? So we've got to get past that if we're going to apply what Paul says. The New Testament has a lot to say about submission. And when Paul says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ, when he says submit to one another in the fear of Christ, he is summarizing the entire New Testament teaching of submission. Okay? Okay? So, let me give you a diagram of the New Testament teaching of submission that we'll work with this morning. Number one, he says, church, you need to submit to Christ. The church primarily submits to Christ. Christ is the head of the church of which we are His body. 
the New Testament teaching says. And then, here we have husbands. You must primarily submit directly to Christ as well. And then Paul says, wives, your role is to submit to the headship of the husband who is therefore submitted to the headship of Christ. This is the progress, this is the process which New Testament lays out. And then here we have, trying to figure out how to draw this, children are submitted to the parents who are submitted to the headship of Christ. And then, Here we have citizens submit to every type of authority. What's every type of authority that submitted citizens are submitted to? Give me an example. Like police. police. Boss, government, president, city, state, public service. Submit to the authority. God put them there for your good. They do not wield the sword for your harm, but for your good. Right? God has put all types of authority over and it is our role to submit to that. Church also submitting to Christ. Uh, I want to be careful how I draw this because it is not spiritual leaders. The church is to submit to spiritual leaders that have been put in their life to watch over and care for their soul. And the book of Hebrews says, don't make it difficult because God gave you spiritual leaders in your life. Submit to them. Let them lead and guide you because they are a gift from God to you. Now, they are not equals with Christ. I didn't want to draw them right up here with them because spiritual leaders are therefore submitted to Christ. Right? Uh, what else do I got? Oh, yep. Younger. Submit to the elder. And the, the New Testament has a couple different uses for the word elder, but in this context, it means younger submit to those in your life that are older than you. The older people in your life, younger people, you need to submit to them. And then he gives an all-encompassing, submit yourselves to Christ or to God himself. Okay? So let me ask this. Anybody in here, anybody left, you don't see yourself up here anywhere. (laughs) Is there anybody left that doesn't find themselves on the board somewhere? My assumption coming into this is this should take care of all of us. Therefore, every person in the room is therefore a part of this conversation from here on out. And you know your role. You may find yourself on the board only as one who is commanded to submit. Or you may also find yourself on the board as one who is commanded to submit and commanded to be the one who takes the lead. And others are therefore supposed to submit and follow you. You may find yourself in... Both roles. 
But at this point, we should all find ourselves in this conversation. So I got three points for us this morning concerning submission. Okay? Point number one. Nowhere does it say to command submission. Nowhere in the scriptures does God allow you or instruct you to command that somebody else submit to you. That is never implied, that is never commanded, that is never asked, that is never uh, even a concept. The, The word, like Mark was getting to, the word submit or submission in the New Testament context is to willingly position myself under the authority of another. It is never implied that I would position you under my authority by force or command. It's always you willingly positioning yourself under that authority figure or under that lead. So wherever you find yourself here, the whether you're if we have every type of authority in our community and they have to demand our submission. This is working backwards because we should position ourselves for our good and for their good under that authority. If you get in a church or spiritual leader relationship where your spiritual leader is beginning to demand your submission... It's broken. It's broken. The church must, if this is going to work, you have to willingly submit yourself under the headship of those leaders, right? Nowhere does it say that you are allowed to command submission. The person of higher rank can only, if you look on the back, Love and serve as Christ loved and served. If you find yourself, you've got two roles. The one who submits and the one out front. That's the one I'm... So if you are the one who submits or if you're the one out front, the one who submits does so willingly. The one out front has no ability or freedom to command it. He merely loves and serves those who submit to his authority. Okay? That's how this operates. Is that Tony? He's over there. He didn't work down here. Right? So... That's how this operates. If you are the head of anything else and you begin to command submission of those under your authority, you have lost your position. You love and serve and others willingly submit to you being out front. That's the picture that we have in the New Testament. I would assume... 
this doesn't happen near as often as it should. Therefore, this doesn't happen near as often as it should. That's why we distrust and dislike authority, because authority seems to be disconnected from those whom they are intended to love and serve. Therefore, we distrust them. We do not submit. It's a cycle that goes on and on and on. One more disclaimer before we do a little bit of a assessment. And we always have to make these disclaimers in these types of conversations. But if you are in an abusive relationship, this, this command is not intended to keep you in a dangerous, abusive situation. According to the gospel-centered biblical teaching, you are not being commanded to stay and submit to someone who is abusing and harming you. That's not what this is saying. It's not what this is saying at all. You have freedom and should find safety from the abusive situation. Okay? This is not a command for you to stay and get the crap beat out of you. It's not what this is. You should and you do have freedom to find safety. So here's a little activity I do with people that are about to get married. Stephen and Hannah went through this with me. So some of this will seem familiar to him. But there's two things. Since this is, I've changed the wording to go from strictly marriage to just general uh, the one out front and the one who submits. So the questions that I have for you is, is, are, are, are intended to lead you to understand how you operate when you're out front. I want you to understand if, if anywhere in this diagram you're the one out front and others are intended to submit to you. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a boss, maybe you're a policeman, maybe you're... A, we only got one pastor right now in this situation. But whatever it is, if you find yourself being the one out front and others are intended to submit to you, we want you to, I want to ask you a handful of questions and let you discern how you do when you're out front. Okay? Or maybe if you're one that's intended to submit, this is not a time for you to judge those that you're supposed to submit to you, but maybe for you to understand what's going on in that relationship. And if you understand what's going on in that relationship, I think it'll help you to submit better as we move ahead in this conversation. So number one, servant headship seeks to hear what other people think. So in that relationship where you have one out front and one who's intended to submit, if you are the one out front loving and serving, then you seek to hear what these people have to think. You listen. You listen. But if you're operating not out of servant headship, but what we're going to call lordship, that means I'm the boss. That's those who command submission based on my position. The lordship commands submission based on position. Servant headship seeks to hear what others think. Lordship loves to give orders and discussion becomes a threat. Discussion becomes threatening to your lordship, so you don't want to hear it, you just give orders. So think about it. 
your role up here, are you a servant, headship, or are you operating under lordship? Do you listen to the one who's intended to follow and submit? Or does anything they have to say become a threat to your authority? You don't want to hear it. Right? Second thing. Servant headship lives with others in an understanding way. But when you're in lordship, you know little about these people and their weakness becomes annoying to you. Right? So, over here... You live with these people and understand. You know them inside and out. Their strengths, their weaknesses, their struggles. Why they cry. If you're a husband, you know why your wife's crying. But if you're operating under that lordship concept, when your wife cries, it's just annoying. She just needs to stop that, go away till she gets it. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. Just submit. All right? Do you understand? this people group or does their weakness just annoy you and become frustrating to you? Servant headship is interested in arriving at the truth. But when you're in lordship, you become defensive when your view is challenged. So if you're a boss, if you're a husband, if you're a parent, whatever you are, Let's make sure we're getting it right. I'm going to listen. I'm going to discern. And we want to make sure that we've arrived at what's good and true. Or, if I'm operating under this lordship, if my children challenge my view, I shut them down. Because I don't want to come to the truth. I just want to be right. I don't want to come to the truth. I just want to win the argument. Do you want to arrive at truth? Or do you want to win the argument? I feel like sometimes in our political situation over the last number of years in our country, nobody cares about truth. We just want to win arguments. Nobody cares about what's good. We just want to win our position. And we can sit back and watch our political situation and say, that's a horrible way to operate. But when it comes to you as a parent, are you operating the same way? When it comes to you as a husband, do you operate in the same way? You call out our president because he operates that way, but do you, as a boss and someone who oversees people from day to day, do you operate that way? You know, it's, it's a bad way to operate. It's commanding submission, not loving and serving. Servant headship is aware of these people's weakness, yet you want to focus on their strengths anyways. It eliminates those, God, you always do this. You never get this right. You're so in this. That person doesn't want to submit to you because you're only pointing out their weaknesses, their flaws. But if you want to love and serve, you're going to recognize their weaknesses and you're going to lead them in their strengths anyways. You want to beat them down for where they're no good? Or you want to build them up so that they can move ahead? When you love and serve, you build up. But if you are lordship, you're always beating down because of where they're weak. 
servant headship involves others in decisions to come to mutual agreements, lordship manipulates and intimidates to get your way. So when there's a decision to be made, let's say you're a husband for a second, and there's a decision to be made in your household, do you say, God made me the head of the house, I make the decision and you obey it? Or do you say, God made me to be head of this household, I value your input, let's come to a mutual understanding so that we can move ahead together. Because ultimately, I'm going to be held responsible for this decision, but I'm not going to be isolated in this decision. Because the one who loves and serves leads in such a way that this person is able to go with you. But if you're sitting over here saying, this is where we're going, I command you to go with me. This person doesn't want to go. And in fact, they don't even know where you're going. And their opinion may be a threat to you. So you don't give them ability to speak into the decision. God made me the head of the house. Let's go. God made you the head of the house to love and serve your wife so that she might be able to go with you, empowered to go further with you. Not at your command, but at your side as you love and serve her or your children or your employees or your citizens, or your church. That's how we operate. Last one is, servant headship proactively manages. Lordship excuses oneself from responsibilities. One of the greatest, clearest examples is, if you're a husband or a father, you get home at the end of the day, and you sit on the couch, and you say, I'm done. But that servant headship gets home, and he says... I'm done with my day of work, but now here I am to begin my day as a father and a husband. Now, I like to check out on the couch. And I'm going to say as my role in this community has evolved over the last six months, I come home a lot more fatigued than I used to. And it's a lot easier to get and say, I've spent 10 hours on a job site loading, unloading my trailer, building, doing this, doing that, demoing and hauling and saying, I should have a right to get home and rest, but if I am the head of my household, I come home to love and serve my wife and kids. Now, I don't get that right every day, because some days I believe that I'm Lord of my house, and I have a right to rest. But that's not my God-given role. That's not my God-given role. If I want my family to go with me wherever we're going, I will come home and I will love and serve them. I will listen to them so that I might lead them further, longer, stronger in their strengths and their weaknesses, in our decisions. Right? So think about it. How do you operate out front? Anybody got a reflection of, man, that's kind of revealed maybe the pros and cons to how you operate.
because I was physically more able than him to be at the hospital day and night and handle all the stress and all that. And I came home and I was laying down the wall. I've got to have this house clean. I've got to have this dish every day. You don't understand. You know, and they were suffering like all of us, but it didn't take long for me to stop that because he was literally so kind about it. Mm -hmm. He understood. He never fucked the system or fucked with me, you know? Yeah. But I didn't know I had that in me, but I did. Yeah. I didn't really think about it. Too much. Yeah. Well, I tell her I'm sorry every morning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I did, but I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't miss something. So just think about it, right? Just think about how you're operating out front. If you want to look at why people do or do not follow you, maybe you just use that assessment and say, you know, no wonder people don't follow me. I'm demanding authority. I'm demanding submission, and I'm just crushing the people underneath me instead of empowering the people that are supposed to be underneath me to go with me, right? And if you're the person who's intended to submit, here's the second point. Because some of you just justified why you don't submit. Some of you just said, the one that I'm intended to follow, my boss, five days a week, my spouse, seven days a week, my pastor who is awful at this, that's why I don't submit. Number two point is nowhere does it say to condition submission. Nowhere does it say that you can condition your submission. It's conditional. If they get their headship right, then I will follow. That's never an option scripturally. God has never said that you, as the one who is commanded to submit to whatever role we've laid out up here, you wait until they get it right and then you submit. That's never been given an option either. You are not to command submission and you are not to condition submission. So you can't say, well, not my president. Are you a citizen? If you're a citizen, he's your president. I'm not saying I like everything he does, but biblically speaking, I don't have the right to condition my submission to all types of authority. Right? I would submit to my husband. He's lazy. He's selfish. He's, he's this, he's that. And when he gets that right, I'll submit to him. I'll work with him. There is no condition for submission. Unless the one whom you are commanded to follow is Jesus, the one you're commanded to follow is imperfect. The only submission that we have a guarantee to perfection in the head is Jesus. So that means husbands, wives, spiritual leaders, every types of authority, those that are older than us, all of them are imperfect in how they operate. And you cannot demand perfection before you follow them. 
because they'll never give it. They will never give it. They'll never be perfect. So let me ask you this question. What? We got lots of stuff going on out there. What are the everyday challenges for being the one out front? Just think about that. The everyday challenges for the one out front, the one who's intended to be the head of others, to be the leader of others, to be the authority over others. What are the difficulties mentally, emotionally, physically for being the one out front? What are they? And there's an innate fear of mistakes. Right? That's why I start things so well. But when I get six weeks into something, I'm like, oh, the enthusiasm of the start wore off and the fear of screwing it up sunk in. Right? Being out front has a lot of fear of mistakes that goes with it. What else? Yeah, it's exhausting. Being the one out front is a tiring process. Shelly and I were talking about this yesterday. I'm tired of being a dad. I am tired of being the one that fixes things. I'm tired of being the one that's needed to do this. Can't you hang your own pictures? Can't you fix your own windshield wiper? Can't you do this? Can't you do that? Why am I the only one in this house that seems to be able to do anything? But then she's like, I'm tired of being a mama. Can't anybody else in this house cook? Can't anybody in this house clean? Can anybody else in this house do X, Y, and Z? It's like, man, it's exhausting being the one out front because everybody who's supposed to submit to you is so just... The process and the people are demanding. They are. They are. So being out front is an exhausting experience. What else? What's what's the... The everyday challenges for being out front. Taking responsibility. Why is that so hard, Andrew? Yeah, having responsibility for people that are supposed to be submitting to your role, yet those people are poor work ethic, don't know what they're doing, don't know how to do it, and now all of a sudden their inadequacies are your problem. You're responsible for where they're strong and where they're weak. I want to be responsible for what they do well, but I don't want to be responsible and drug drug down by what they do poorly. So if I'm a foreman on a job site... And I have a deadline that I've been given by the one whom I submit to. And the people who are supposed to submit to me don't give a flip about your deadline. Now that's my responsibility that I have to carry for people with poor work ethic. So I get one of two options. I can pull out my lordship card. I was given the role as foreman. You do this. Or I can pull out my Jesus card that says I'm 
here positioned as your foreman to love and serve you until you become strong where you're currently weak and we go further together when we meet this deadline together. But it's, it, it's, it's a hard road to be responsible when you're the one out front. That's why a year ago, this process that we're in right here, like from June to December, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. None of you, not one single person in here except for maybe Stephen, because Stephen relocated his address to be a part of this. But nobody else in this room felt what I felt when it felt like this wasn't going anywhere. You guys were just happy to show up and worship and see what's going on, but me, it's like I'm the one responsible for what's going on or what's not going on here. And that was just a weighty, weighty role to carry for a long time. Because being out front's hard. Challenges to being out front. there's like daily decisions like you make decisions without realizing you're making decisions and you got to do it all day every day if you're the one out front sometimes you got to do it with counsel sometimes you got to do it in the moment before you can receive counsel sometimes it's natural sometimes it's unnatural but whatever it is there's decisions all day every day if you're the one out front and it's it's hard it's hard. When you're in a leadership role, you're, you're instantly a target for criticism. And yes. you like handling yeah. that. Again, even though those that criticize, you're the one that knows all the details and all the reasons why those rules yeah. were made, they have limited view of that, but you still are going to receive it. You still have to be able to handle it. That's, just, that's probably my least favorite when you're in a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Bad, bad news. Bad news travels a lot further or a lot faster than good news, and everybody who's out front has a critic. Yeah. And like Shelley was saying, and this goes on to what Mark just said about decision making, people out front have to make public decisions on private information. 
And the problem is you make public decisions on private information. Everybody who's supposed to submit to that public decision wants to be a critic of that decision and they know none of the info that you had when you made the decision. They just see what they see and they criticize it according to what they know, not what you know. But you can't share every bit of information with every person who's supposed to be a part of the process sometimes because you've got to make daily decisions sometimes before... And some people can't handle all the private info. And some people don't care about all the private info. My kids can't handle all the information about why I did or did not buy this truck, that truck, or do this or do that, or why we live here, why we live there. They're six. <laughs> so the, the, being out front is hard. Being out front is hard. So here's my follow-up conversation. How might unconditional submission, nowhere does it say that you are allowed to condition your submission. So how might unconditional submission overcome these challenges for the people out front. So you're going to, if your condition, if your submission is unconditional, now you enable the one who's supposed to lead, you enable them to lead you. And you enable them to lead you closer to Christ, hopefully. Now, there's a potential that you married into a relationship where the head doesn't care anything about following Christ. You cannot condition your submission to that person. When they follow Christ, I'll follow them. When they care about the Word of God, I'll follow them. Until then, I am the Lord of my own life. No, it doesn't operate that way. But it even says that the wife to the unbelieving husband, as you submit to them, there's a good chance that you're going to lead them to Jesus. It actually says that for us. So as you submit to them, you enable them and you actually lead them closer to the one that they're intended to submit to. What else? If you have unconditional submission, how do we directly see it overcoming these challenges? I never do that, so I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> so I asked my kids probably about a year or so, I said, you know, is there anything that you would change about how dad do things with discipline? They said they don't like him not, mm. you know, take it to that level mm. and ask them why. And so as a leader, it hurt. Yeah. But I realized that if I'm going to, you know, gain the 
the, uh, if I'm going to strengthen a relationship with my kids and my family, then this is a place that I don't need to go because they don't, they don't like to see me that way. And so in exchange, I tell them, I don't want to tell you something a thousand times. You know, it's like, hey, go do this. Hey, go do this. Hey, go do this. And it's like, pressure's building, pressure's building. And it's just, you know, so, I, I don't understand what you're saying, Mark. I, don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, God allowed me to see at times. Yeah. Hey, I got it wrong, or I shouldn't have said or did this. But, but what you're saying, though, is if your children submit to you as the head of the household, then in your decision making, you're going to make it with more clarity because you're not all fired up, you're not all flamed up, and in your decision making, when they do bring logical criticism about what the decision you've made, then you can come back with a logical discussion. But when there is no submission, then you get flared up. Your decision-making becomes flawed because you're fired up. And then criticism becomes a threat because they never submitted in the first place. But if submission is unconditional, exactly what Sean said, then now my dad can lead and make decisions and handle my input a lot better. So some of these are immediately eliminated because I did not commission my submission of the head, right? So I'm enabling them to lead better, further, clearer, and I'm enabling them to back up when maybe we take a wrong turn, because we will. We will take a wrong turn. I think about the fear of mistakes. If I got people that are going to follow me even when I make mistakes, then my fear of mistakes is near, near as scary. Right, because as a as a boss, as a foreman, as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, whatever, you're afraid that your mistakes are going to eliminate or discredit you to where nobody goes with you anymore. And if nobody goes with you, a leader who takes a a leader who has nobody following him is merely taking a walk. Right? Nobody wants to be out there just walking by themselves. But you're afraid that that one mistake is going to discredit everything and now you're going to be by yourself. But if you've got people that are unconditional in their submission, then now you have freedom to make mistakes. And if you have freedom to make mistakes, you've got freedom to go further. Right? Because none of us is going to be perfect in our decision making. We have to. One of the greatest things, I told Stephen the other day, one of the reasons that I let you guys do what you do as a worship team is because in my first ministry, somebody let me do what I did. And I had all freedom in the world to do things well and to do things poorly and to learn from my mistakes. And people weren't going to fire me. They weren't going to quit being a part of my ministry because I screwed something up. No, they knew that as a young leader, I needed freedom to make decisions, to make mistakes, and to learn the pros and the cons and to weigh it. And they're going to go with me anyways. And because of that, I'm better at what I do today whether it's fathering, pastoring, or being a foreman on a job site, whatever it is. To know that people are going to submit unconditionally, even when you make mistakes, eliminates the fear, and it eliminates a lot of the exhaustion you have. Because a lot of your exhaustion is just simply fear-based. When you have this internal fear, it physically wears you out. That mental game has a physical reality to it. And your body will be 
so tired because your mind never shut off. But to know that those who are going with you are going with you no matter what. Now my body can rest. My mind can rest. And we can lead with more clarity. So I say all that to say this. If you are one of the ones commanded to submit, whether you're a citizen, a younger part of the church, a wife, a child, whatever it is, you have the potential to enable the one whom you're commanded to submit to. You can enable them to lead you better. You can help them in their role. You can lift them up or you can drag them down based on whether or not you condition or uncondition your submission to them. You want to wear your husband out? Wait till he's perfect until you work with him. You want to enable your husband to be a better husband? Offer your submission unconditionally. Well, that's scary. What if he's abusive? What if I lose control? What if I lose myself? What if it makes me vulnerable? Yes. What if the gospel's true? And what if what God has said is better than what you feel and what you want and what you are naturally inclined to do? And that's what it comes down to. Is what is this the Word of God who has spoke to you, made you, knows you, knows how you operate best, knows how you operate naturally, and He has spoken to us to lead us in what is better? Because you've got a lot of reasons to fear as the one who submits, but you also have a lot of reasons to believe that this is a better way and that the God who made you and designed you knows you better than you know yourself. And you've got to answer that question, which goes to our last point. It does say submit in reverence for Christ. I don't submit because He's worthy. I don't submit because He's good. I don't submit because He's a powerful leader. I don't submit because He's a good speaker. I submit in reverence in the fear of the Lord. In reverence for Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Creator of the world. Because He knows me better than I know myself. Because He designed me, He made me, He placed me in that role. Because of Him, not because of you, will I submit in this relationship. Right? In reverence for Christ is where our submission comes from. Submission requires faith. It requires faith. Number one, faith in Jesus, because this is His teaching. It's His gospel. So I must first believe that He is who He says He is and did what He said He did. It requires that initial faith, but it also requires faith in the unseen. That if I do this, the one whom I submit to is not the final word. If you decide that He is your president, and you're going to submit to your role as a citizen, our president does not have the final word over your life. Jesus Christ does. You have to have faith that Jesus is more powerful than the president. you got to know that. It's going to require faith on your behalf. 
If you submit to your husband as a head of your household, your husband doesn't have the final word over your life. Jesus does. Because remember that your Jesus or that your husband is submitted underneath Christ. As he is the head of your house, Christ is the head of your husband. Your husband's not the final word over your life. It requires faith that you must trust in what is not seen for you to walk in this. Because you got a lot of reasons to be afraid of it. you got a lot of reasons to talk yourself out of it. You're going to have to believe in the things you have not seen at this point. Submission shows a picture of the gospel. Last thing for you. Matthew 26, Jesus, right before He is arrested, right before He is hung on a cross, Jesus goes and He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times He goes in and three times He falls on His face and three times He prays, My Father... If it's possible that I don't have to go to the cross, if it's possible that I don't have to bleed out and die in this manner, then would you let something else happen? Let this cup pass from me, if it's possible, but, but, not my will be done, but yours. Like, I'd I'd rather go a different way. But, Christ submitted to the authority of His Father. He submitted to the authority of His Father. It's not my decision making, it's yours. Jesus displayed submission in His suffering to two things. And I want you to notice this as we shut down. Jesus displayed in the Gospel submission in His suffering, to His Father and to every type of authority, governing authorities in His context. Check it out. He had one that was perfect. His submission to His Father was always going to be perfect. Why? Because His Father's perfect. He didn't have to question it. What his father wants is best. But he had an unconditional submission to the earthly authorities. They weren't perfect. But he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and he did not open his mouth. He did not open his mouth when he submitted to the every type of authority that Paul talks about. Like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, so he does not open his mouth. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. I'm going to leave you with a question, not a statement. Can we believe in this same gospel? Can we claim to believe in this same gospel if we kick and scream at every one another whom God has placed in our life to lead us? Can we say that this same gospel, with this same Jesus, submitting to the will of the Father and to the authorities of the land, without even opening His mouth, without kicking and screaming. Can I claim to believe in that same gospel if I myself kick and scream at every authority whom God has placed in my life?
Can I claim to believe it? If that's how I act. If I kick and scream at my husband, if I kick and scream at my government, if I kick and scream at this, if I kick and scream at my boss, am I believing the same gospel that the scriptures lay out? Which leads you to the question of, if that's how I operate, where do I need to repent? Where do I need to change my mind? Where do I need to change my thinking? Where do I need to change how I operate? If I believe in the same gospel, it'll lead me to operate as Jesus did. He was led to the slaughter as a sheep before the shears is silent. He submitted as a person of peace without kicking and screaming. Man, that requires a lot of faith. It does. It's kind of scary, ain't it? But we started this conversation based upon the fact that, you know what, we operate in a lot of things without even thinking about it. We just decide how we're going to walk. And we just assume God's going to go with us. It's not the case. It's not the case. God has given us instruction as we walk in His presence, and this is part of it. Submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Anybody got a final word, question, comment? Maybe where you do need to repent and turn in your thinking and your acting? power of influence is greater than the power of what? Hmm. Hmm. Power is power. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's the same concept that John Mc John Maxwell writes about with his servant leadership. It's your your greatest power as an authority figure or as a leader comes by being a servant, not by having a title. So it begins, you want to be a man of great something, be a man of submission. Everybody wants a title. Everybody wants a crowd. Benny, it's like, I always view like the Christ submitting to his father. It's like, I I get that, and I very rarely have noticed or paid attention to Christ submitting to the authority. The authority that was wrong, the authority that Mm -hmm. falsely condemned him, the authority that he had every right. Mm To bow up and use his power. I mean, he could have, in a point, just yeah. struck them all down. Uh, I mean, I, don't know, I think it's just like you and even like even in the husband wife, just 
you know, you very rarely screw up, honey. But when you do, yeah. how I want to lie, can we get screwed? Can we? <laughs> 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 but, you know, I mean, you just, your natural thing is just like, you screwed that up, you know. And yep. You just want to bow up and you want to prove your point and you want to make sure you're heard, mm. that you were right. And it's like, Christ was right. Like, there was no... But like you said, he didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. He, he took, um, he just took it. Um, and by that, we have the free gift of salvation. That when we die, we glory with him. And we have his presence with us. And it's like just all those things that happened because he was submissive. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just, I, to me, that was more powerful of it to look at that and view of how I respond um, to those over me when they mm-hmm. are wrong. I know they're wrong, and I want to, you know, just in, in all aspects. Mm-hmm. So. As Jerry's talking, there's more and more examples of that showing up in the line, people's grinning under the sleeve, just letting them sleep, shows up and watches everything. Rome was one of the most corrupt governments right. this world has ever known. We cannot fathom. <laughs> Yet over and over, he submitted. Sean, will you pray for us as we close out? Mm-hmm. Remember, next week's birthday party, we'll have cake. Maybe one candle. I don't know how we do that, but we'll figure the candles out. We'll just get the cake, though.